In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we will study the book of Obadiah. It's actually uh, the smallest book in the Old Testament. It's only one chapter. And the book of Obadiah is one of the minor prophets. And Obadiah was most likely in the time of Amos. So what's the story of the book? It's a very simple story. If you guys remember in the Old Testament, we said that Israel was one kingdom. And later on, they split into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. Israel went on exile, and then Judah was left alone. Later on with time, Judah disobeyed God, and then God allowed them to be in exile with the Babylonians. What happened was, there was a nation that's close to them. It's called Edom. And this nation was actually, their ancestor was Esau. If you guys remember, Abraham had two sons. Uh, Abraham has Isaac, Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Jacob, this is where Israel came from. Esau, this is where Edom came from. So what happened was when the Babylonian came to take over Judah and to destroy it in the year of 587 BC, the people of Adom, they were so happy that because Judah was destroyed and they actually came and plundered them and came and took whatever was left over. And if somebody's trying to run away from the Babylonian, the Edomites will capture them and bring them, bring them back. So even though they share the same family heritage, the same ancestors, they turned out to be people who betrayed their brothers. And in the time of their difficulties, they did not stand next to them. They betrayed them. So th this prophecy is unique because it's actually not a prophecy to Israel. It's actually a prophecy to Edom, the people who betrayed the people of God, the people who turned against the people of God. And it's actually quite interesting because God punished Israel because they did something wrong. And God allowed the Babylonian to take them over. Edom, their job was to not to punish the people of Israel. But they took advantage and they were happy that their ancestors, their brothers, were being uh, demolished. And actually, the story of this chapter is important to all of us. A lot of us have friends, have siblings, have cousins, have co-workers, where sometimes we might feel that we're jealous of them. And some might, sometime when I hear bad news about somebody, I might actually feel happy because I'm doing better than this person. And whenever I'm vulnerable and I have a problem, sometimes it's hard to find a good, trusted person that I feel they're going to care for me. They're going to pray for me. They're going to sympathize with me. So it's quite difficult. So the book here actually talks about this kind of a person who sees his brother or sister in a, pro in a, in a, in a problem, facing an issue. And instead of helping them and supporting them, what they end up doing is they actually leave them, make fun of them, try to make the enemy capture them even more. Same thing similarly if you find your brother or sister are falling into a sin. A sin, especially the one that has long-term consequences, whether 
maybe um, uh, sin of addiction, uh, issues of um, toxic relationships that could have a long-term impact. And I don't stand next to them and I don't help them and support them, it becomes a problem. So what's happening in this book? God will come to Abu Daya and tell him, the people of Adom, they will be destroyed fully. And God's judgment will pass on them, but also part of God's judgment that there is what we call the day of the Lord. So we'll see God's judgment is quite interesting. God says there, the history of uh, the, the people of Adom will be destroyed, but there is a hope and there is a day of the Lord and there is life afterwards that's open to everybody. And that's always almost every prophecy in the Old Testament. It points usually to the day of the Lord, which is the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ or the second coming. That's why the day of the Lord does not really refer to usually a 24-hour period. It is a period of time where the work of God of salvation have been manifested to us. So this is basically the story of, of Adam, the Obadiah. The word Obadiah means servant of Yahuwah, servants of God, servants of God. Some people say, Jerome says, Obadiah was one of Ahab's steward in the story in First King 18, where there's one of his steward hits a hundred prophets in the cave from uh, Jezebel. That's a possibility. Uh, but there's not a lot of, no, lot, of, lot of information known about Jubadiah, uh, Obadiah the prophet himself. When we look at the structure of the book, the book basically it's only one chapter. The first verse is basically heading or introduction. The second verse to the ninth from two to nine is the destruction of Edom. God says Adam will, will be destroyed. From 10 to 15, it's what Adam did wrong. And we're going to go specifically to see what specifically did wrong. By the way, their problem was not only that they let their brother and sisters fall and, and did not help them, but they had another deeper problem that God will explain later on in the, in the book. And then from verses 15 till 21 is Adam and the day of the Lord. So there's a judgment on Adam today. But there's a judgment on the day of the Lord. We're going to look at it right now. So start from verse 1. It says, a vision of Obadiah. A vision means is a, a divine communication to a person. Obadiah is known to be the son, or the, the word means the servants of the Lord, or the one who worships uh, Yahuwah. So God is sending him a message. St. Ephraim the Syrian, he said, Obadiah was born in the tribe of, Ephraim, uh, of Ephraim and prophesied against the Edomites. And he said he was contemporary to Hosea, Joel, Amos, and Isaiah. So St. Ephraim the Syrian said he was living around the same time. Same time when Judah was destroyed. Same time when basically they were about to go back to the exile. So that 70 year period. Look what God says. Thus says the Lord God concerning Adam, we have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations saying, Arise and let us rise up against her for battle. So a message came to Obadiah, told him, Look, God is going to punish Adam. And you guys have already heard there's all these nations around Adam that's turning against him. These, this movement, this coalition of governments moving against Adam, 
actually is worked by God. The, law, the Lord is the author of what's going to happen to Adam because what they have done to Israel. St. Ephraim the saying says something beautiful. He says, we have heard a report from the Lord. He says, that is the Lord of the world powers will do nothing if he has not first revealed his mystery to his servants. St. Ephraim the saying, he says, the fact that God wanted to reveal this to Obadiah shows that God does not do anything in our world without revealing it to his own people, without revealing it to the servants of God. So what's happening here, God is telling him the evil of people of Edom has reached its peak. And it's time for the nations to come and attack. Why is this important? Israel have sinned and they committed a sin and God punished them. And Edom took advantage of that point. Sometimes when somebody commits a mistake, it's a public, it's an awful mistake. And we all agree they should get punishment or they should get whatever reward they deserve. But sometimes it becomes easy for us to step on them. Everybody can feel some sort of sense self-righteous to humiliate this person. This person, uh, he, he, he stole. This person, he murdered somebody. This person abused somebody. This person did this. Yes, they're wrong and they deserve their own punishment. But at the same time, I have to be careful not to step on somebody who's already being punished, who's already being humiliated. But the Lord said, now, Adam, there's a punishment against them. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be great, greatly despised. Adam wanted, you remember the issue between Esau and, and Jacob? The issue has always been between, between them after the birthright is who is going to be the one who carried the name of the family of Jacob. When Jake and when Israel stole the family, the, the, the family right, the birthright from Esau, it became a problem. And all their ancestors, there's been all these stories between the families. They hate each other. They don't like each other. They talk bad about each other. But what's happening is God is telling them, I will make you the smallest among the nations. And also in this, in this passage, Sometimes Adam might refer to the devil or the evil power that kind of tries to pushes us towards sin and once we fall, it stands there watching us to make fun of us. So God is saying, I will make you despised. I will make you among the smallest, among the nation. That greatness you're looking for, you're going to get completely the opposite of it. Look what God told them in verse 3. This is the root cause of their problem. He says, The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the cliffs of the rock, whose habitation is high, you who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? What is this first saying? First of all, Adam, they used to be in an area, especially their capital, where they were surrounded by these big rocks or these big, like little small mountains. And there's a narrow gate that would lead you to the city. So anytime an enemy would attack them, they felt very comfortable that they were very well protected. 
They have rocks everywhere. They have mountains everywhere. Nobody can come and enter their city. So they took confidence in their city, in the structure that they have. But the Lord is telling, you, telling them, even though you did have some worldly protection, but your biggest problem was pride. The main reason you wanted, it, you wanted to humiliate Israel is because you're arrogant, you're prideful. And that pride lead them, led them to step on somebody who's vulnerable. That's why in Proverbs chapter 16, it says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. If I become prideful, I will end up making all these mistakes so quickly and so easily because I am motivated by my self-interest and it will be easy for me to be broken from inside and whatever I depend on will be broken. But he says, you say who will bring me down to the ground? And the, it's a rhetorical question. Obviously nobody can. You think you're standing on this cliff of a rock? Like you think you're up there, nobody can reach out to you? You think you're so powerful, you're so protected, you're so strong? Well, you're driven by pride. And that's an important aspect for our life. Because quite often we build our pride our, our, our life based on certain materialistic things. How much do I have in my bank account? How much friends do I have? How popular I am? What job offers I'm getting? What schools I got accepted to? Which girls are attracted to me? Which boys are attracted to me? What's my family name? What's my family members? All these things sometimes become a reason to make me feel prideful. It says, though you ascend as high as an eagle, and though you sit your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. What is God saying? He says, from the point of your pride, where you took pride and you took pride in your future, in your security, in your, in your ability, in your social skills, in your intelligence, from that point, I'm going to bring you down. If you think like your attractiveness is your source, well, God might allow you to suffer some sort of illness to humble you. If you feel like self-image is your, is your source, maybe people will speak rumors about you. Here, he says, from that point of up and high, when you launched attacks on people, God will break you. When the way you start making fun of people and joking around them and humiliating them and judging them and all this stuff, from that point, God will come and reach out to you. From verse 5 and 6, he talks about that God will overthrow Adam completely. He says, if the thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will cut off. Would you they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they have not left some gleaning? So what is, what is God saying? He says, you know, like when somebody comes to steal your house, they're going to come and take some stuff. They might take the gold, they might take the cash and run away. But they're not going to take your TV. They might not be able to take your couches. They might be able to take your clothes. You'll have some sort of partial loss. 
Same thing when you collect the grape. When people collect the grapes, collect the harvest, what do they do? They usually leave some behind. They leave some behind for the poor. They leave some behind because some were not as good. Sometimes it's important to put the grave back into the harvest so it does not get bad, so it's not worth it to run after every small one. But he's telling them, you see when a thief comes, he leaves something behind. When a, a grape gatherer comes, he leaves some behind. I will leave nothing left of your kingdom. You will be utterly destroyed. They showed no mercy because, with, because of their pride. And God is prophesying against them and says, because of your pride, everything you depended on, it will be lost. There's a story that one of the fathers mentioned. He said that a rich man came to him, this is a true story, and told him, Abuna, even if God wants to make me poor, he will not be able to make me poor. I have so much money, I'm so rich, and more and more and more comes. At that point, that monk told him, Yani, be careful and pray. About a few months later, the children of, of this man came to that priest, the monk, and asked him to pray for their father. He says, what's wrong? They told him. He got into a very, very risky deal. When he got into it, he lost all his money, and the police is looking for him. Because in, in Egypt, when you owe money, you, you have to, the police has to find you. But sometimes, when people become so self-reliant and confident, and one of the signs of self-reliance and confidence is that I'm easily judging people, and I'm happy when they fall, and I'm happy when I'm the best, and when I'm happy when not, I have no problem, other people have problems. All these are signs of pride, and God does not like that. He says, oh, how Esau, now see, he replaced Adam with Esau, because they are Esau's ancestor, shall be searched out how his hidden treasure shall be sought after. You know, like every kingdom will hide its money somewhere. He's telling them people will enter your city, enter your palace, and in the most hidden treasures that only the king and few people are allowed to go to, they will enter in, and the things that you depend on the most will be taken all out. Such a difficult situation. And to be honest with you, I always think about the conversation that the disciples had with our Lord Jesus Christ and Mark. The disciples told, were fighting among themselves. They asked our Lord Jesus Christ, they told him, who is the greatest? Who is the greatest among us? And our Lord Jesus Christ will teach them about discipleship. Don't speak of who is the greatest. There is discipleship. If you want to be the greatest, you have to serve everybody. If you want to be the best, you have to be the least. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ was teaching them. In three different locations. But the disciples did not understand. They kept arguing and fighting, arguing and fighting. And that became a problem. When did the disciple, when the disciple started understanding? When Jesus was on the cross. Nothing, nothing stuck to them unless Jesus died in front of them. Nothing broke that pride unless our Lord Jesus Christ broke them, died in front of them. And sometimes that happens. In order for me to defeat my pride, 
Sometimes God allows me to see death. To see all the things I'm depending on chatter. So I could run to him. He says, all the men in your conf confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prefer against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. No one is aware of it. So what is happening here? God is telling him, all the people, all the people that you depended on, that you trusted, will deceive you. You know, it's almost like Adam, they, 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 they deceived Israel. So God would allow all the nations around them to also see him. God would say, look at Adam and be like, what makes you so confident in yourself? Be like, we have a great city and we're protected and there's mountains and there's rocks and we have richness and we also have nations around us that like us and we're all good, we're safe. God says, okay, no problem. And that made you so prideful that you humiliated your brother and, and destroyed them and took their advantage and took the, their wealth. Okay, so what's going to happen? Not only your city will be destroyed, not every single person of you will be destroyed, but even the relationships that you had with other people around you, they will deceive you. And actually, historically, uh, Nabodians, one of the Babylonian rulers from 50, 555 to 539 campaigns in this area and he took over Edom and destroyed it. And that's important because sometimes we, we look at pride and we say everybody has pride. That's true. But if I feed it and I don't try to ask God to heal me from it, and do the action against of the nature of pride, then God will resist me. This is the sin that caused the demon to fall. This is the sin that caused Adam to fall. Well, I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Adam and understanding from the mountains of Esau. God says, all your people who you're dependent on, the smart ones, the intelligent ones, the people who used to give you all these thoughts, they'll all be gone, they'll be destroyed. Destroyed means dead or destroyed their wisdom will become foolish. Then your mighty men, Otemen, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. Temen is the name of the major city of the northern district of Edom. It's synonym to Edom. You know, like when you, for example, you say the White House. Sometime or Washington D.C. It's it's synonym to the U.S. government. Same thing. Temen is a synonym to Edom. So he says all the warriors will be destroyed. You can see this in similarly in Jeremiah 49:22. It says, "Behold, he shall come up and fly as an eagle, and spread his wings over Bozrah, and at the day and at that day shall the heart of the mighty men of Edom be as the heart of woman in her pains." So it's almost he's saying the men of Edom would run or feel afraid as the woman feels when the hour that she has to give birth. That pride and fake confidence will turn into fear. Now, what did Edom did? We already hinted to it, but God is going to explain it in a more detail. It says, for violence against your brother Jacob 
Shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. God told them all of this because you were prideful and you committed violence against your brother Jacob. You know, sometimes when we have a rivalry with somebody and we feed it and allow it to grow and grow and grow and grow, then it could turn into deception and hatred and frustration and evil. And this is what happened. From the time of Esau and Jacob, a rivalry, hatred started to grow, started to grow. And what happens is when it came time, Adam committed violence against him. And God said, shame shall cover you. And you know, shame is different than guilt. Guilt, like you feel guilty about something. Shame is like an overall state of failure. You walk around feeling like, I'm ashamed. I'm failing. And he says, and you shall be cut off forever. That's why we're going to see this later. Adam represents the enemy of God. And God is saying that you committed violence against the people of God and you will be cut forever. The problem is, God says, you have committed violence against your brother Jacob. The betrayal was so great. Like you're not committing violence against your enemies, but you're committing violence against your brother, the people that love you most. What does that mean? Like imagine you have a friend and you guys are both friends from church and he comes to you and asks you for advice and you're concerned of telling him the truth so he doesn't get upset with you or you try and tell him something so he can feel good so he can move on or you try and tell him something that could get him in trouble because you want him you feel jealous toward him or toward her God says you are his brother you are her sister and she came to you and you committed violence against him. He says, In that day you stood on the other side, in the day the strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. When the day of Babylonians came to take over Israel and destroy it, he says, In that day you stood on the other side. What does it mean you stood on the other side? He says, You did nothing. The Babylonian came in, took the people of Israel, took them captive, they destroyed them, they beat them, and what did you do? You did nothing. God is blaming Adam for doing nothing. And sometimes people feel this is the safest thing to do, is to do nothing. But actually, as a matter of fact, it could be the most sinful thing to do. Because God entrusted you with something, and when you take your responsibility and do nothing about your responsibility, then what happened? You have committed sin. That's why in the New Testament it says, if you know to do good and not do it, it is counted as a sin to you. But you should, you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of their, his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. God, you know, God breaks it down. So almost every small detail, every small offense makes, a sin, makes, makes God's heart 
broken. He says, you should not have looked down on your brother. Like when you see somebody doing something wrong or sinning or falling and you look down at them, feel like I'm bitter at them. God says, you should not look down at your brother. For example, some people, when they, when, they, um, when they have their engagement parties or their weddings, whatever it is, they might try to do like something that's Christian. They do it in the church and it's nice and the presence of the, the, the people from the church and it's something that's spiritual. That's beautiful, good for them. But I should not look down at somebody else. I should not feel I'm better than somebody else. He says, you should not rejoice over Judah. When somebody, I feel like they are my competition and they're doing bad, I should not rejoice and feel happy. Finally, they're doing bad. Or when I'm serving with my co-servant and somebody talks bad about them, I feel good. I feel like I'm the one who's doing everything. You should not boast. You should not march through the gates of my people. Like you walked into their homes, you walked into their house. God took everything. You seized your wealth. He took the their riches away. You ruined the reputation. He took every small thing they have done. And God said, you look, even the look, God brought it up. Every time I reveal someone's weakness, or I don't give somebody's guidance, the right guidance, I am sinning against God. Sometime also, this is also related to the church. Sometime a problem that happens in the church and people start seeing, seeing some weaknesses in the church. So what happens is instead of still maintaining the spiritual commitment to church, I kind of get involved with the devil. The devil is destroying the church and he's breaking and he's doing all this stuff. And instead of me coming in and protecting and taking those who are broken and trying to lift them up and trying to bring back the church to its place, I'm like Adam watching the church in trouble and doing nothing or adding to the problems, adding to the issue, talking more bad about it or sharing and discussing and embarrassing. You should not have entered the gate of my people on the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should have not gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You took advantage. They were being captured. They were running away. And you came in and you took advantage of somebody who's weak. And that, by the way, happens a lot even overseas where they go to poor areas and poor places and try to try to tell them, uh, we'll, give you a tra we'll give you an opportunity to travel overseas. They take their money and they steal it and leave. They see somebody who is very poor, they will like donate your kidney and then we'll, 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 uh, we'll give you some money. There's sometimes where we, people use the vulnerability, financial vulnerability or financial situation of somebody to try to take something so precious from them. That's a problem. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. 
Basically, the people of Edom, when somebody is running away from Israel, from the war, they will capture them. What do, what do they do with them? They either take them as a slave or give them back to the Babylonian. So, your, your, your brother and their weakest points, and you are there to make them suffer. Make them in pain. It's like somebody goes to a funeral or somebody who's, who's going through difficult times and they start kind of lecturing the people. Why are you sad? He's going to heaven. Don't be sad. Be happy. Okay, well, they have to go through griefing. Calm down. And I feel like as if I'm above the situation, but those people are suffering. Those people are, su are suffering. Now we're going to start, start talking about the day of God, the day of Yahweh. He says, for the day of the Lord upon all nations. See, be careful. Now he talked about the judgment of Edom, who represents the power of evil. But he says, for the day of the Lord shall be upon all nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your heads. So he says, the day of God, which is the, second, the first coming in this case, is coming soon. And people will be punished for their crime. We'll see how God punishes his people. It says, for you drank in my holy mountains, so shall all nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. So he's telling, it's very strange now, this verse is very strange. He's saying, he's telling them, the punishment, the Lord, the day of the Lord is coming, the punishment is coming, and this punishment will be forever. And what is the punishment? <laughs> there will be celebration of victory in the holy mountain of God day after day, day after day, day after day. It's interesting. As you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been before. There's an everlasting consequence for their action. But on Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their positions. So it says, Israel will be restored, the people that you made fun of, the people that you humiliated, those people you disrespected, the people that you thought you were better than them, the people that you enjoyed seeing them defeated and humiliated, they'll be restored. And their positions will come back. But their deliverance, he says, they shall what? On mountain Zion, they shall, there be shall driven and there shall be holiness. The deliverance will be different. They have holiness. What is, why is this difference? The main reason that the people of Israel fell the first time is because they sinned and God allowed them to be captured. The second time, God says there'll be holiness. They're not going to fall anymore. They'll be in the kingdom of heaven. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau shall be a stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them. And no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. What is God saying? There are two different types of fire. 
fire in the house of Jacob and the house of, jo of Joseph. Jacob and Joseph will be on fire for God's love and God's service and God's holiness and they become more cleansed. The house of Esau will be on the fire or the flame of judgment. This is eternal, eternal. St. Jerome says, through the destruction of the works of the flesh and the desolation of earthly kingdom, there will be salvation in the church for those who do not go out from their mother church and the saints who die inside her, concerning whom it is said in Isaiah, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord Sabaoth, because it refers to those whom he sanctifies as well as those whom he sanctified. He's talking about those who are in the Holy Zion, those who are in the church. The south shall possess the mountain of Esau, and the lowland shall possess Palestine. They shall possess the field of Ephraim and the field of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead. He's saying that the neighboring countries has spread out to control sections of Canaan vacant by Israel and Judah that when they fell to Assyria, Babylon. And these neighbors included Adam, Palestinian, and Samaria, and Ammon. And the captive of the host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zerphath and the captive of Jerusalem who are in uh, Safrad shall possess the cities of the south. He says all those who spread all over the world, they will be possessed by the people of God. Some of these locations like uh, Safrad actually is not very well known. Some people said it's beyond Babylon. And actually Ephraim the Syrian, he says this area is actually beyond Spain. So he's talking about the kingdom of God. When the day of the Lord comes, it will not only be the land around Israel, it will not only go up to Babylon, which is Iraq and Syria and all these nations, it will go even beyond to Spain beyond Europe. He's talking about, now he turned judgment against Edom as a local people to a day of the Lord where there'll be people who follow God and those who don't follow God. A kingdom that's extended, expanded throughout the whole world and a kingdom that will face the fire of judgment. Then Savior shall come to the Mount of Zion to judge the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. He says, at the end of all of this, God will come and judge the Mount of Esau, which represents the, the evil, the spirit of pride, the, the evil that fought the people of God. And the end of this, the kingdom of God will come and he reigns over the people. This is similar in Isaiah 4, 5 and 18, 7. All that is written. St. Augustine says we understand Adam as referring to the nations. We may understand that Christ says in the same way, but upon Mount Zion shall be safety and there shall be a holy one. And a little further, at the end of the same prophecy says concerning Paul, and the redeemed shall come up out of the mountain of Zion that they may defend mountain Esau and it shall be a kingdom to the Lord by saying that this is all a fulfillment to the, pro the, promises, the, the, the prophecies that happened elsewhere when our Lord Jesus will come on the first coming and the Bible will preach everywhere and then when he comes in the second coming and judge everybody 
So when you look at this book, it's a, just only one chapter, and we see God is coming specifically directly at a sin of pride. And how does this pride manifest itself? Manifest itself but by rejoicing when somebody's doing bad, somebody I care for, and I'm just happy that they're doing worse than me, by actually taking advantage of them, by actually doing nothing to protect them and to help them, by even the look at what, what they're going through with joy, by being boastful, but depending on my own abilities, my own cities and my own people and my own friends and my own money and my own this and my own that. All of this stuff, God says, is going to be judged. How it's going to be judged? By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How it's going to be judged by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? Very simple. Those who are humble will accept the message of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, Blessed are those who are not offended in me. But those who are prideful, they're not going to accept the message of God. A very unique prophecy that is not to the people of Israel. It is to every person, to all of us who are suffering from pride. God saying it's a serious sin. The look that comes from pride will be punished. The feelings inside that I wish against my friends and my brother, the jealousy, the envy, the curiosity, the, isola all, the isolation, all these things will be judged and will be destroyed and we will be brought to nothing to show you that you have depended on, va on vanity. Let's get, as, as we begin this year, all of us go get a seek God, ask Him for help, to help us to defend the weak and to be broken with those who are broken deeply from inside our hearts and not to be fake. And not to go home and feel, I'm okay. since I'm okay, it doesn't matter what everybody else is going through. Let us go home being torn for those who are broken. Helping those who are running away, wounded, who are suffering, who have problems. So God can also bless us and help us to stand in the day of His judgment. In front of His love, in front of His service, and glory to God for